Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Do you find when you try to talk to your kids about money that they tune you out? Well, maybe they'll listen to our guest today, Scott Gam, who is one of them. He's a junior at New York University's School of Business, and he writes regularly for Forbes, The Huntington Post, Business Insider, and CNBC.com, just to name a few. He's also been on the Today Show and Inside Edition discussing his new book, More Money, Please, The Financial Secrets You Never Learned in School. He also created a website, HelpSaveMyDollars.com. Scott's here to share with your teenagers and young adults some ways that they can be smart and making smart decisions with their money and possibly your money as well. Welcome, Scott. Good to be with you. I'm really looking forward to our visit today. I've got a couple kids in college, one that is beyond college right now. One of the things I'm hearing from my kids all the time is how all their friends have just gone head over heels in debt with student loans, credit cards, and financially, they seem to be in a lot of trouble. You've written a book to help college kids called More Money, Please, and it's about the financial secrets that you never learned in school. That's something that Tony and I are both passionate about is financial literacy, one of the reasons we're doing this program. And hopefully you've got some ideas here to share with our listeners today because many of our listeners, I'm sure, have kids and grandkids that are facing some of the same things that you're writing about and some different things that you can share on teaching the kids more financial stability. So what prompted you to write this book? The fact is this stuff is not taught in schools. Only four states require students to take a personal finance course in high school. So you have a situation where millions of students are graduating high school, going off to college, or you have millions of students graduating college and going off into the real world, and they don't have any financial training. So this creates a situation where it's simply trial and error from the student's perspective when it comes to credit cards, student loans, savings, budgeting, even retirement savings, which is something that's really important to start out at a young age. So leaving it up to chance to get your finances in order really is, I think, a recipe for disaster. So I really wanted the book to act as the personal finance course that never existed in school. Since we got the opportunity, let's obviously promote the book, too. Where can everybody get it today? It's out on April 30th, and it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any bookstore in your area. i got to believe your website, too? Absolutely. There's a ton of information on helpsavemydollars.com to get the book More Money, Please. And you actually developed that website prior to the book, correct? It's true. The website's been up almost four years in 2009, so I've been writing content for that ever since, and the book started writing that last year. The website is still up and running as well. Fantastic. And how close are you to graduation? I have a year left. Awesome. Fantastic. Hey, i got to ask, in your book you have about 11 chapters, but chapter one is something I kind of take to heart, and so does Jim, because this is a perspective that the average person out there When they hear the word budgeting, (laughs) they just kind of clam up. And we've always kind of tried to flavor the sound of that a little bit different by giving a different perspective, as you're greatly doing for us today. And that is, instead of doing a budget, we talk about it as a cash flow analysis. (laughs) Sounds a little sexier, I guess. 
with that, it allows people to really get in tune with their expenses and income. And your very first chapter says, take the bore out of budgeting. Tell us what you mean by that. It's true, and no one wants to sit there for hours every month on an Excel spreadsheet and making line items for every single item they buy, but if you can try to do that for a month, two months, it's really what I call a refreshing experience because you get to see what you waste your money on. Not what you spend your money on, but what you waste your money on, and we're talking everything from visits to local ice cream shops or magazines or even gum. You'd be surprised at what people waste money on and you don't even realize it because it's impulse spending. So if you can do that for a month, two months, track every dollar you spend. And in the book, I go into some of the ways you can do that, whether it's on your iPhone, whether it's actually saving your receipts, or whether it's using your debit or credit card and then looking at the statement at the end of the month. Because then you can go through and say, I really shouldn't have spent X amount of dollars on restaurants. I really shouldn't have spent X amount of dollars at the drugstore. How can I cut back? I think back to when I was your age and I had my first full-time job. I went back through a year and tried to figure out where I spent my money. There were thousands and thousands of dollars I could not account for. Where it came from is, well, that's just $15 here, $20 there. There's 30 days in a month, and if you keep spending $15, $20 that you don't account for, which is really easy to do. It's just going out for lunch or grabbing a cab. There's so many things that college kids spend money on today. Maybe it's a new CD or MP3 download. There's so many easy ways to spend money. Now with credit cards, you don't have to pay for it. It doesn't really hit you until that monthly bill comes in. And we see a lot of college kids now that are getting drowned in the 27% interest rate that some of these cards are charging. What's your opinion on the credit cards and what are some of the major mistakes that kids are making and what can they do to stay out of it? Well, you just mentioned the, the biggest point. I mean, the interest rates on these cards are so high, always over 20%, that if you don't pay the balance off in full every month, you're getting slammed with that interest rate. So all of a sudden, that $50 sweater that you got on sale all of a sudden now costs $70 because you left them in your credit card for three months. It makes no sense. A lot of people say, oh, I bought this on sale, but then they leave it on their credit card. They're just getting killed with the interest. So it's important Number one, to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be able to pay off that balance in first. And what I mean by that is use it for small purchases, gas and groceries. You can limit your credit card spending to those two expenses. Chances are you're going to be charging up a manageable amount of money to be able to pay off the balance in full each month. And that way you won't have to worry about interest. And one more quick point. I mean, some people say, well, why use the credit card at all? Well, at the young age, you want to be able to show the credit bureaus that you're establishing some sort of responsible credit history. So not using the credit card at all, well, yes, you won't get into debt and you won't have to worry about the interest, you won't be able to build up steady credit history. So it's a delicate balance between the two. That's a great point because if you know how to use those to your advantage as a financial tool and not a crutch or a loan, then obviously it can help you build credit worthiness in the future. And as most people know today, it's hard to even travel, rent a car, or go to a hotel without a credit card. You just have to know how to use it and have some discipline. I think in the book, if I look here, you actually dedicate almost four or five chapters here to understanding your credit, the credit card commandments, and just managing debt. You do have one chapter. I'll rephrase it a little bit because it's dead as a bummer, and you used a different word. But um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I love it. It's a key component 
to establishing a core understanding at such an early age because that'll obviously carry you through your whole life. That really relates to another point is, we always talk about this on our program, when you're listening to the markets and everything else, is tuning out the noise. What do you mean by that? Well, listen, this really comes into play when we think about jobs for young people. We see the statistics, the unemployment rate for teens is in the low 20s percentage-wise. We see the statistics of the overall unemployment rate or the real unemployment rate when you factor in those who have given up looking for work. And at some point, you got to say, all right, I can't listen to this anymore. Let me focus on my situation. I can't control the greater economy. I can't control the job market. But what I can do is do everything I can while I'm in school to get internships, to get the contacts in my network that are needed to put myself in a better position to get a job. And that's a fact that you can control is your own personal employment situation, especially when it comes to getting internships and putting yourself in that position to succeed. So that's why I try to you know, just tune out the noise when it comes to all the negativity out there for the younger generation. A tip for the younger generation is when you're applying for a job, some employers are actually doing credit checks So another reason to be financially responsible in certain jobs, I know in our industry, in the financial services industry, even to get licensed, if you have a real debt problem, you're probably not going to get in this industry. So it's important to have a good, solid financial ground when applying for a job. And another thing, would you comment a little bit maybe about social media? A lot of kids don't realize employers are looking at that stuff. Is that something you find that's a critical mistake that's being made by a lot of students? It is a critical mistake, and it's becoming more and more prevalent, although you have to wonder in 10 years, will it be so widespread that will employers care anymore? Because everyone's on Instagram and they're posting pictures, and is there going to be that separation between work and life when it comes to social media? And so I think that's the big question, but at least right now, you need to be on the safe side and really guard what you're putting on these sites when it comes to pictures, posts. I mean, even any post that might seem offensive, you never know who's going to see it, and you don't want that to come back and backfire. Scott, this has been great stuff so far. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about seeing some future, and that is retirement plan savings and what your perspective is on that. So please stay tuned. The purpose of this message is to stop your heart for just a few seconds. If you weren't here, what would happen to your family? Would there be enough money for them to have the kind of life you want them to? People with life insurance know the answer. Life insurance isn't for the people who die. It's for the people who live. A reminder from the Life and Health Insurance Foundation for Education, a nonprofit organization. Welcome back as we continue our interview today with Scott Gam, who is a junior at New York University's School of Business and just so happens on his sideline, writes for Forbes and Huffington Post and the Business Insider, been on CNBC, MSNBC, CNN, all those shows. So just when you're bored, you got a little television to do too and writing. That's awesome. It's amazing what you've shared with us already from your perspective. And I think our conversation today is so credible from the fact that you're literally living it right now as a young adult, growing your financial future. And we really hope our parents and grandparents who are listening today forward this program to their kids and grandkids so they can hear your perspective that you've already created a website years ago and you've already now got a book coming out called More Money Please. And that is just amazing to be an author and be accomplished before you've even graduated school. 
let's talk a little bit about planning for the long-term future and what's your perspective on the benefit of saving early and the value of compounding. Talk about retirement savings from your perspective. I think this is one of the major points of the book because it could be the most important financial decision you make, which is saving for retirement as early as possible. And you guys know this, obviously, being in financial services, obviously the Roth IRA is one of the major retirement accounts out there, and you can open one up online in under 10 minutes, choose the funds that you want, whether it's an index fund or a target fund, put some money in it and just watch it grow. I mean, you don't necessarily even need to track the day-to-day fluctuations of it because the goal is you're starting in your early 20s, so you have 40 or 50 years before you're ever going to need that money with compounding interest. If you run the numbers on the calculators online, there were wealth IRA calculators, it's absolutely mind-boggling what the numbers show you in terms of how powerful compounding interest is. You know, there's an example I use. If you put just 30 or $40 a month in that Roth IRA retirement account, and if you do that at age 30 rather than age 40, you're going to have an extra $150,000 in your savings account. That's at just a 7% return, and again, 30 or $40 a month. So it's so important to start as soon as you can. You know, when the Roth IRA came out, it almost seemed too good to be true. And when you can basically take, at your young age, if you're earning an income and you contribute to a Roth, and let's say your tax bracket is as near zero as it's ever going to get, because tax rates are still efficient, even with all the hullabaloo and talk in Washington, because we see tax returns constantly. And most young adults at your stage have low enough income that your tax bracket is justifiable enough to consider the Roth. And to have that mushroom and grow tax-free forever off the grid is what I call it. you got to realize at some point that could be a casualty to future administrations saying, gosh, we're not going to have any tax revenue from this. So I try and encourage my young adults to say, look, get as much money into this tool as possible. We only have had it for a short time. And if the Treasury starts to do the numbers on all your generation accumulating wealth in a tax-free bucket forever, how are they going to afford to pay the bills in the future if they're not taxing your wealth? So what a phenomenal tool for the young generation to compound and grow wealth. That's a great point. We're hearing all these stories about more taxes from folks, the little retirement savings that they have left. So I think it's Albert Einstein coined the term, the miracle of compound interest. And when you take taxes out of the equation, I don't know if you're familiar with the rule 72, but let's just say for the sake of discussion, someone's getting 10%. You divide that into 72, that means money doubles every 7.2 years. If instead of 10%, now you're working, you have a job and you're paying between state and federal income tax, maybe you're paying 30%, you're only netting 7%, you divide that into 72 and now all of a sudden it's taking 10 years to money to double. And if you do the math on that all the way out to retirement age, it's not just a couple extra bucks for that extra 3% that you are earning. It's a multiple because you have more doubles happening when you don't have the taxes coming out. So you really want to look into that, take advantage of it, because once you graduate, then you got a car payment possibly, you got a new house that you bought, you get married, you have kids, and now you got kids that you're paying for. You're never in a better position than when you don't have those dependents and those other obligations to put a couple bucks away and get ahead of the curve instead of like most Americans being behind the curve. True. It's a great point. You have to expect your expenses to only go up from here. Try to take advantage of the time now where certainly you have college costs and tuition costs, but at least your living expenses are going to be lower because you don't have kids on your own, essentially. 
No doubt. The fact that you're a junior at a very prestigious school, what's your perspective on, you uh, have a talking point here of just being honest with your college planning. What do you mean by that as far as what kind of school to go to and consider? I think it's a real personal choice, and, and I don't think anyone could tell anyone else where to go to college or what the right answer is. But for my case, I think going to an institution that's really going to put you in a position to succeed, I think, is, is obviously what everyone wants. But when you really think about it, I mean, think about where the college is located, right? I mean, I'm in New York City, so I had the chance to intern throughout my freshman and sophomore year of the college, whereas if I was in another city, I wouldn't been able to have done that. I think that gives you a leg up from other students when you can say to an employer, look, I was able to balance the schoolwork and I did the internship during the year. And you also want to be honest about college debt. I mean, debt is toxic, there's no doubt. But you also have to approach this whole college situation as an investment because you're investing in you and you can't necessarily put a price on that. And it might be hard to quantify right now because you're so young and you don't know what your future is going to hold. But in 20 or 25 years, you're going to look back and say, hmm, well, knowing what I know now, would it have been better to have gone to the school that accepted me that was a little bit more reputable in the field I was studying or maybe I had a better location, access to more opportunities? But I kind of feel bad I turned them down just because it was so much money. So the takeaway is, look, if you can get into a top school in your field, just because it's expensive and it might require some debt, don't necessarily sell yourself short of getting that education. You know, I love to use the same point is if you structure it properly, you have to view it as an investment. So sometimes when we're counseling parents and grandparents, they're in so much fear to allow their kids to have school loans. They're trying everything they can to do is pay their kids education because they're trying to avoid the kids coming out of school with debt. But in some cases, if that means just like you said, sacrificing maybe choosing that better school with a better reputation and more opportunities post-grad, remember you're in school four to six, seven, eight years, depending on your specialty, you might be in your career for 30 to 40. So you can pay it back if you respect it and appreciate it, earn it, and then apply it. So I think that's a great, great point. Well, let's give you a challenge, and that is you're now a junior. You're going to be a senior next year. So now you get a transition from all this great knowledge to the true actual job hunt. So tell us about you have a chapter in your book called The Art of the Job Hunt. Tell us what you mean. This chapter was about some of the experiences I had interning and just the day-to-day examples of what is expected of you, what you should be doing, just from things I've learned, sending thank you emails, what to write in them. And I think it's important that students take this whole process seriously. I mean, you can't discredit the value of even unpaid internships, which I've done as well, because those tend to pay dividends later on that you can't necessarily see right now. So it's really a chapter about taking whatever skills you have and turning them into what can be applied at a company, at an employer, at a startup, which again goes back to, I think, the value of being at a school that's geographically located to, to opportunities because you want to be able to take on as much as you can. Well, listen, Scott, I'm feeling guilty because this might be one of the first interviews Jim and I have ever had where we're asking the guests to talk to us during their school day. And I know you might be a little late for your next class, so we want to get you back to that. But it was great information today. I would look forward to staying in touch with you as you progress and as you obviously will grow from this experience of your website and a book. I'm sensing more will be coming. So we'd love to stay in touch with you. But just as a reminder, again, for our listeners, this would be a great show to forward on to your kids and grandkids because it's coming from a young adult's perspective and promote, obviously, his website. Go ahead and give us your website again and your book and where to get it. It's 
helpsavemydollars.com, and the book is More Money, Please, The Financial Secrets You Never Learned in School. It's out on April 30th by Penguin. You can get it on Amazon, bookstore, Barnes & Noble, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Gam, S-C-O-T-T-G-A-M-M. And then I'll throw in one perspective from an older guy that's talking now, which is don't always feel that you have to go it alone. As much as your generation is very savvy with the internet and the tools that are available today, don't also think that you're not eligible or ready to sit down with a competent advisor. For example, yesterday, Scott, I sat down with a young 29-year-old who just graduated school. took her a little longer to get there for her expertise. She's had her first opportunity now to participate in what's called a simple plan, which is like a 401k for a smaller employer. This is her first beginning opportunity to start saving for retirement. And really, she just was uncomfortable and kind of clueless about what her options are and what to do next. And if you find a good advisor out there, I don't charge for consultation time. And I sat down with her and said, hey, there's a lot of people today that say, I won't help you unless you have money. Well, there are plenty of advisors out there that will help you to get money and help you save. And so you just have to find someone that's willing to work with your generation because if you're a client of mine for the next 30 years, that's a great way to help build my practice too. So don't feel that it's too soon for you to sit down with a competent advisor and look at estate planning, tax planning, insurance planning, retirement savings, all of those things. With one final caveat, as a young adult, don't forget the importance of having simple, basic estate planning documents in place like a power of attorney for finances and health care because once you're over 18 in many states, your parents can't even help you in those areas. And if you're off to school and an injury or accident or something happens, you want your hand-picked family members or who you want and have confidence to be able to help you. So that's a perspective I hope you can also share with your fans out there is some basic legal documents today that every young adult should consider. So thanks so much for your time today, Scott. Get back to class and keep up getting those A's, and we look forward to staying in touch as you graduate and grow in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.